One thing that I'm excited about today is that we are starting a brand new series of messages today that we're calling Talk to God. And I'm excited about learning a little bit more about the power of prayer and how we can talk to God. And I've been praying over this series and I've been studying and I've been reading and I truly believe that this series has the potential to be life-changing in your life. I truly believe that this can be transformative for our church as we lead into Easter weekend, learning about the power of prayer. And so I'm excited about that. You can find a seat this morning. And if you have a Bible today, we're going to be in Luke chapter number 11. Luke chapter number 11 is where we're going to be. And how many of you are ready and excited for Easter weekend? Anybody like that? How many of you have already invited someone to join you on Easter weekend? Anybody like that? Okay. How many of you, maybe not yet, but you are planning on inviting someone with you? Uh, we have 10,000 invitations going out. I want to encourage you to grab some on your way out today. We have a mailer going out. Uh, there's going to be a, a short ad on the radio. You can look out for that. And uh, we have all kinds of different uh, outreach endeavors. But can I tell you the main and most important one? A personal invite. A personal invite, just a friend inviting a friend, a neighbor inviting a neighbor. And I want to encourage you to think, who's my one? that I'm going to bring with me on Easter weekend. And uh, man, I'm praying and believing that God's going to do something great on that weekend. Luke chapter number 11, if you're ready to dive into God's word, would you say amen? amen. We're going to start reading in verse number one. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a Bible in the seat back. And of course, the verses will be on the screen as well today. But Luke chapter number one, the Bible says this. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, as in heaven, so in earth. Give us day by day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. We'll read on, but uh, for right now, we'll pause and have a word of prayer. And uh, today, I want to bring a message for a few minutes this morning that I'm just calling Knock Knock. Everybody turn to your neighbor and say, Knock Knock. Let's have a word of prayer together. Father, thank you so much for this day that you've given us. And Lord, thank you for this opportunity to come together and to have this time of study in your word. And Lord, I pray that we will lean into this text this morning, and I pray that we would have a better understanding of how these verses apply to us. Lord, I pray that we would understand uh, not only the power of prayer, but the pattern for prayer that you have exemplified for us and that we would implement this pattern in our lives. And Lord, I pray that this uh, time together studying your word would truly be life-changing for us. God, I pray that uh, after 
we study your word over the next several weeks that we will increase our prayer lives and and better our prayer lives for you and for your glory. And God, I pray that you would be pleased with it all. And we love you in Jesus' name. And everybody said today. Seth reminded me this past week of when we first started the church, I was invited to go and pray uh, for a city council meeting in Fontana. And I remember Seth and I, we got together and we showed up, we went to the city council meeting and we walked into the room and it was packed. It was standing room only. And uh, there was a certain kind of a, a uneasy energy in the room. It was kind of tense in the room and we didn't know why, but we went in, we sat down and I went uh, up to go pray and I started to pray and I was praying for everything that I could think of. I was praying that there would be wisdom in the room. I was praying that there would be peace and unity uh, in the room and with our mayor and our city council. And I was praying and praying. And I said, amen. And I went and sat down and I sat down next to Seth. And for the next 30 minutes, uh, the room was filled with all kinds of vitriol. Uh, Unknowns to us, uh, unbeknownst to us, there was some sort of uh, uh, voting item on the agenda that people were unhappy with that night. And so that's why it was so packed. And for the next 30 minutes, people were yelling people were screaming, Uh, people were pointing at the mayor, and they were pointing fingers, and it was very tense in the room, and I leaned over, and I looked at Seth, and I said, I don't think my prayer worked tonight, and uh, I don't know if you can resonate with maybe a moment in your life where you felt like, man, I don't know if my prayer life is working how it should be. I don't know if my prayer life is is being effective, as the Word of God talks about, an effective prayer life. And I believe that all of us today, I believe that we would, for the most part, we would believe in the priority of prayer. I believe that we would understand the power of prayer. Do you believe in the power of prayer this morning? And and so I believe that we even would believe in the privilege of prayer, that, man, we even get to pray and talk to God and have a relationship with God. And so while we believe in the privilege of prayer and the power of prayer and the priority of prayer, where we struggle often is the process of prayer. Struggling to know how do I pray according to a biblical pattern. I was reading this week that there was... Uh, a study done in 2021, and uh, Pew Research did this study, and they said that uh, 45, only 45% of Americans say that they pray on a daily basis, and that includes everyone. That includes Protestant, Catholic, really any kind of prayer, uh, let alone biblical prayer. Only 45% of people pray, and so this is something that is uh, most certainly a need in our uh, day today. The Bible says in James chapter 5, verse number 16, confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effect Sexual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. We believe that, that there is power in prayer, but how do I make sure that my prayers are effectual? How do I make sure that my prayers are effective, that they're actually working, that my prayer life is something that is pleasing and honoring to the Lord? And if you've ever felt like, man, I don't know if my prayer life is working. Uh, I don't know if, man, I feel as though my prayer life is struggling. I want you to know that you're not alone. Because in Luke chapter number 11, the disciples wanted to know how to pray. They wanted Jesus to teach them specifically to pray. Uh, Notice how our text begins in verse number uh, one of chapter 11. Are you with me today? Verse number one, and it came to pass that as he was praying, Jesus was praying. By the way, uh, the greatest argument and the greatest reason for us to learn about prayer is that Jesus constantly modeled it. Uh, Jesus was constantly praying. Uh, He prayed uh, at his baptism. He prayed when he was choosing the 12 disciples. He prayed in the garden. He prayed when there was multitudes. He prayed to give thanks. Jesus 
was constantly uh, praying and exemplifying prayer. And if Jesus, who is the perfect uh, spotless son of God, relied on prayer while he was on earth, how much more should we rely on the power of prayer as well? And so Jesus here was praying, verse number one, in a certain place when he ceased, when he was done, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. As John also taught his disciples. Now, it's interesting to note that the disciples did not say, Lord, teach us how to pray. They said, teach us to pray. Because, everybody with me today? Because our greatest need and our greatest difficulty when it comes to prayer is not learning a new technique or mastering a certain technique. Our greatest need and our greatest difficulty is simply to pray and to pray consistently. See, the disciples were very familiar with the concept of prayer. Uh, they were not, prayer was not a foreign idea to them. It's not like they were observing Jesus praying and they were saying, man, I wonder what he's doing over there. Like, man, is he just talking to himself over there? <laughs> like, what's going on? And uh, they were very familiar with the concept of prayer. In fact, the Old Testament was saturated with commands and instructions on how to pray. Uh, they knew all about prayer. The Bible says this in Psalm 50. This is an Old Testament passage. The disciples would have been very familiar with passages just like this. And call upon me in the day of my trouble, and I will deliver thee, and thou shalt glorify me. Psalm 145, verse number 18. Uh, the Lord is nigh unto them that call upon him to all that call upon him in truth. And, and so uh, they were very familiar in Jewish culture, the disciples. Uh, prayer was embedded deeply into the New Testament, into the Old Testament. And, and so they knew all about prayer. But why did they ask the question? If they knew, if they already essentially had an Old Testament manual on how to pray, why did they look at Jesus and say, Lord, teach us to pray? Because in this culture, prayer had become a performance. And when prayer becomes a performance, it ceases to have its power. Uh, when my, every dinner time, our family, we have a, a routine that we do. We don't always get it right, but we try to have this specific routine. And when we come together for dinner, uh, we light uh, the ceremonial candle. And one of the kids gets to light the candle, and that commences the dinner process. And then uh, we uh, will have one of the kids pray, and uh, uh, we rotate, and one of the kids can pray for dinner. And, uh, and then we go uh, through highs and lows of the day. And everyone shares a high and low of the day. We kinda, that's our process. That's our routine. And whenever it's one of my kids' turn to pray... They love that moment, and uh, uh, they love to have the spotlight, and they'll just pray. Blakely will pray for a long time, and let me tell you, it's not because she's spiritual. It's because she just loves that spotlight. She'll pray for every single thing under the sun, and sometimes I'm just like very hungry, like, hey, let's just go ahead. Uh, the Lord blessed it. Let's eat, Blakely, and, uh, but my kids, they, they, they love that spotlight to pray in that moment. It's their time to shine. It reminds me of the verse in Ecclesiastes where Solomon said this in Ecclesiastes 5, verse number 2. Be not rash with thy mouth, and let not thine heart be hasty to utter anything before God. For God is in heaven, and thou upon the earth. Therefore, let thy words be few. Sometimes we are trying to impress people when we pray. We are trying to put on some sort of performance. But prayer is not about a performance. It's about a relationship. And this is what Jesus is going to teach the disciples uh, here in this, uh, in this uh, context, in these verses. Uh, Andrew Murray said this in regards to prayer. Uh, Jesus never taught his disciples how to preach, only how to pray. He did not speak much of what was needed to preach well, but much of praying well to know how to speak to God is more than knowing how to speak to man. Not power with men, but power with God is the first thing. And so as the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. 
I want us to see from Jesus' response uh, three powerful components if we're going to be talking to God. If we want to strengthen our prayer lives, there are three components to this text that I believe are life-changing. The first one is this, if you want to take notes today. We have to emulate the right pattern. When it comes to prayer, we have to emulate the right pattern. Now, this prayer is commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. But really, it's not the Lord's Prayer uh, because Jesus in this prayer says that we ought to ask for forgiveness. Jesus was the perfect, spotless Lamb of God without blemish and without spot. He did not need forgiveness. And so really, a more appropriate title would be the Disciples' Prayer because this was a prayer that the Lord modeled for the disciples to use as a template. Uh, This prayer is not a script that we recite mindlessly. Uh, This is a template. It's a pattern for how we should pray. Everybody tracking with me today? And one thing that I'm very excited about in this series is each week we're going to look at a new pattern for prayer. Uh, Really, uh, we're going to talk about some different patterns that we can pray. And if you've ever struggled with your prayer life and you felt like, man, I started praying and I got distracted and my prayer life only lasted 30 seconds, uh, there are certain patterns that we see in scripture that we can apply to our lives. And so we're going to look at the first pattern right now. Uh, The the first thing that is involved with uh, with this pattern is our approach, our approach. Now, notice verse number two. Are you with me today? Verse two. And he said unto them, when you pray, say, our Father which art in heaven. Our Father, which art in heaven. So right off the bat, we see that our approach then should be relational. He says, our Father. Uh, Now, this would be something that was very unusual for the disciples to hear, uh, to pray our Father. We learn right off the bat that when we approach God, we should not approach God in prayer timidly, but we should approach God intimately as Father. This was something that was foreign and unusual uh, to the disciples. Now, we are very familiar with this, uh, praying uh, with uh, this prayer in Luke chapter number 11. We're familiar with uh, these words, our Father. But in Jewish culture, this was something that was very rare. In the Old Testament, God was referred to as Father just a few times. And typically when God was referred to as Father, it was a reference to his sovereignty, to his power, to his authority. And here we see this relational component that the disciples were understanding that they could pray to God as Father uh, relationally. There was intimacy uh, that was involved here. In fact, The Bible says in Galatians 4, verse number 6, And because you are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Abba. This was a totally new way to pray. This was a revolutionary way to pray for the disciples because now they could pray with that kind of intimacy. In Hebrew-speaking families, they would call the mother Ema. They would call the father Abba. And these were endearing terms. Daddy. And so the disciples were not accustomed to this kind of familiarity with God, that we can approach a loving father as as Abba. Now, maybe today this should radically transform some of your approach and some of your views of God. Because some people view God kind of like the Stoics did in ancient culture, where God is all-powerful, and yes, God is is sovereign, but he is indifferent uh, in my life, and he is not very concerned with what's going on in my life. Uh, Maybe you view God as some sort of authoritarian principle who's just walking around with a clipboard, just making sure everybody follows the rules. But what you need to know today is that when we pray, we can approach a loving, heavenly Father that loves his children, that longs to hear from his children, that wants to provide for his children. When we pray, we can pray with that kind of intimacy. Our Father, Uh, maybe today you don't have a great relationship with your earthly father. Maybe today you don't have an earthly father. 
But can I tell you today that you have a heavenly father that loves you more than you could ever imagine. And when you approach him, you can pray to him as daddy, Abba. He loves you. He longs for you. He cares about you. He knows the very hairs, the number of hairs on your head. He knows everything about you. And he wants to hear from you in prayer. He wants you to talk to him. Our father. By the way, he says our father. This, this implies the corporate nature of prayer. He didn't say my father, he said our father. That prayer is not meant to be just some sort of individualistic kind of my thing only, that there is power when we come together as the body of Christ and we pray together, our father. And so we can approach God relationally as father. But then secondly, when it comes to our approach, we not only approach God relationally as father, we approach him reverentially. I want you to see it in verse number two. Notice what it says. It says, When you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. The word hallowed means to be sacred. It means to be set apart. And he says, hallowed, sacred, be your name. Now, remember, in ancient culture, uh, your name was inextricably linked to your character. Your name represented your character, just like uh, Jacob in the Old Testament. His name meant supplanter or deceiver. God changed Jacob's name from supplanter or deceiver to Israel, victorious with Christ. And so your name was often linked to your character. It was more than just a name or a title or a word. It was representing who you are. And so when Jesus says, hallowed be your name, he's saying, hallowed, set apart, sacred be your character, who you really are in all of your divine attributes. You are, you are holy, you are loving, you are just, you are kind, you are compassionate you are merciful. That's who you are. That's your name. That's your character. That's why the Bible says this in Psalm uh, 9 verse number 10. And and they that know thy name will put their trust in thee. And and so when someone really understands who God is in his character, they will put their uh, trust in him. And so uh, here it is when it comes to prayer. Maybe you're struggling today. Man, I don't know what to pray. And uh, sometimes I get distracted. Maybe make a list of all of the wonderful attributes of God and praise him and thank him for who he is. In other words, before rushing into God's presence and before bringing God your requests, bring him your reverence. Bring him your worship. And and so before coming to God and saying, you know what, God, I need this, I need this, I need this, and you need to take care of this. And come to God and say, God, thank you for who you are. Thank you that you are loving and kind and make a list of those things in your prayer and and spend the first portion of your prayer in worship, uh, thanking God for who he is. And so that's our approach, okay? Everybody tracking with me? So our approach, we approach God relationally. We approach God reverentially, but then our agenda. What's our agenda in prayer? You know, if you've ever been in a meeting at work and you want to make sure that when you go to that meeting, there is an agenda for the meeting, right? And how many of you have ever been in a meeting and there was no agenda and it got very frustrating in that meeting? You're like, what are we even doing here? Can we just go back and do something else? And uh, what, is our, what is our agenda when it comes to our prayer life? Are you interested in that today? Notice it. Verse two, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done as in heaven, so in earth. Now, we would never say it because we know it sounds wrong, but I think maybe often a more accurate depiction of our lives when it comes to that verse would be something like this. Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. My kingdom come. My will be done. See, when it comes to our prayer lives, often it's about what we want, but prayer is not about what you want. Prayer is about what God wants. And prayer is about aligning our heart with what God wants. Prayer is not about our agenda. It's about God's agenda. Hey, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And so today we have to recognize that the heart of a true prayer warrior, 
someone that really prays, someone that really has an intimate relationship with God uh, through prayer, uh, at the heart of that is aligning your will with God's will. Uh, God, I just want your will in this situation. God, I want your will in my marriage. I want your will in my parenting. I want your will uh, in my workplace. God, thy kingdom come. What we're doing is we're setting the agenda, saying it's not about me, uh, it's about your kingdom. Now, uh, again, this was something that was very familiar in Jewish culture, because according to the Talmud, if you prayed and didn't mention the kingdom of God, then that prayer was not even considered a valid prayer. They, they knew this. And yet, even though they knew this, prayer became something different in Jewish culture. Prayer became much more self-congratulatory. Self became, uh, prayer became self-promotion. Prayer became self-seeking. And Jesus is saying, if you want to have the heart of a true prayer warrior, then you are going to align your will with God's will. Thy kingdom come. By the way, how does God's kingdom come? What does that look like for us? And so if we're going to pray and align our will with God's will, but specifically, thy kingdom come. You want to know how God's kingdom comes? One soul at a time. If we are going to advance and build God's kingdom, it's going to take one person at a time recognizing their need for a savior and they respond and repent and turn from their sins and trust in the Lord. That is how we advance and build the kingdom of God. And so when you pray, I want to encourage you, are you praying for lost people to accept Christ? Because that is how we advance and build God's kingdom. I was thinking about this this week and I was looking at some past prayer requests that I had and some people that I was praying for and they have accepted Jesus Christ. And that, so now that uh, prayer request has turned into a praise report. But just this week, I was adding new names to that list uh, because I wanna pray, Lord, thy kingdom come. I want to advance the kingdom of God by reaching people with the life-giving and life-changing message of Jesus. And so again, we're talking about prayer and we haven't even made it to the requests yet of our own needs, but we are praying for other people to respond to the good news of the gospel. By the way, that is exactly what we're praying for this Easter weekend. Our agenda for Easter weekend is very clear. It's very simple. Our agenda for Easter weekend is not to have the best egg hunt in town. It's not to have just really big numbers that we can boast about. Our agenda for Easter weekend is to boldly preach and proclaim the resurrection of Jesus Christ so that people can respond to the good news of the gospel and we can build God's kingdom one soul at a time. And so when it comes to our approach to God, we approach him reverentially. We approach him relationally as Abba, Father. Uh, when it comes to our agenda, it's not what I want. It's not my agenda. It's your will be done. It's thy kingdom come. And so we have approach, we have agenda, and here's the third component, asking. Now when it comes to our prayer pattern, we're going to get to our actual request and our needs that we want to bring up before the Lord. Uh, notice uh, what the Bible says in verse number three. Give us day by day our daily bread. You want to know what Jesus is talking about here? He's talking about bread, daily bread, provision, food. Uh, there was a lot of uh, early commentators that thought, man, Jesus can't be talking about something so simple. He must be talking about something more spiritual. Maybe he's talking about communion. Maybe he's talking about himself. He's the bread of life. Maybe he's talking about the word of God being sustained. Uh, you want to know what Jesus is talking about? He's talking about daily provision, daily bread. It was a common staple in ancient culture to have baked bread be a meal. This was a reference to the Old Testament where God provided manna daily. Uh, he didn't give them uh, a supply that would last uh, for weeks and months. He gave them what they needed that day. And Jesus is saying this, uh, when you pray, pray for daily provision, pray for bread. How many of you are bread people? You like bread? Okay, I'm a bread person. I don't discriminate against any kind of bread. I like all kinds of bread. And uh, I think that uh, if I had to crown one winner for bread, 
Olive Garden breadsticks. I mean, you cannot beat Olive Garden breadsticks. When you go to Olive Garden, you don't even order anything. You just get the breadsticks, and the waiter is always looking at you like, what's wrong with you? But uh, it's, all about, it's all about the breadsticks at Olive Garden. Now, what Jesus is talking about here, our daily bread, he's talking about simple daily provision, our daily needs. Can I tell you that God is interested in the little things? Sometimes we think when it comes to prayer, man, I have to pray really spiritual prayers, and God's not interested in my eight to five, and God's not interested in in the thoughts that I'm thinking, and God's not interested in the little things, but God loves you and is very interested in the little things in your life. And Jesus says, when you pray, you can pray and ask him to provide for you the daily things, uh, the daily provision, the, the things that you don't think anybody else cares about, the things that you think God wouldn't care about. He says, I care about those things, and you can pray and say, day by day, give me my daily bread. And in other words, uh, we are not saying, hey, I can take care of this because it's a small thing. Hey, this is a little thing. I don't need to pray about the little things because I've done it a million times. I don't need to rely on the Lord for this. He's saying, hey, you need to rely on me for everything, the, the daily things, the, the daily bread. I remember when Katie and I first got married, we moved into a condo and uh, God blessed and provided and we were just newlyweds. We didn't have any money. We were just kind of trying to save every penny that we had. And uh, we had this closet uh, in our condo that didn't have any shelves and it was just totally empty. And so we were kind of just throwing uh, our clothes on the floor and it was totally messy. And we really wanted to get some shelves put in there. And so we asked someone, hey, would you mind coming? We knew a carpenter. Would you mind coming in and just adding some shelves in our closet? And, uh, and uh, they said, yeah, sure. And so they came and put uh, some shelves in our closet and it looked great, and Kate and I were so happy with it. Wow, look at this custom closet that we have. We were like really proud of that closet until we got a bill in the mail. And uh, we got a bill, and it was for $800. And we had no idea that it was going to cost $800. We didn't know. We just said, can you put some shelves in? The shelves were in. Then we had to pay $800. And I remember we kind of stressed out about that. We started praying. We started thinking. We started kind of planning. We were asking God to provide for us. And one week later, we got in the mail an unexpected tax refund check for more than $800. And you might say that's a coincidence, but I'm just here today to tell you that our God is interested in the little things and he is faithful to provide. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. There is nothing that is too hard for our God. He can supply our needs and meet our needs on a daily basis. When God's will is done God's way, you will never lack God's supply. And so he says, pray for daily provision. But then the next thing he says to pray for specifically is forgiveness. Notice it in verse four. And forgive us our sins. This is the relational component of forgiveness. We don't want there to be a barrier between us and God if there's some sort of sin that's unconfessed in our lives that we haven't dealt with yet. Uh, we pray and we ask God to forgive us. By the way, aren't you thankful? First John 1, 9, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Is anybody thankful for that kind of forgiveness today? I'm certainly thankful that God forgives us. He forgives us of our sins. And then it says this, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And so when you come in your pattern of prayer, and if you are praying according to this pattern, the next thing on the list that you need to think about, is there someone that I need to forgive? Is there someone that I've been holding on some bitterness to? Is there someone that I've had some resentment towards? Because the forgiveness that has come to us should then flow through us. And when we pray, Jesus says, when you pray, you need to think about who do I need to forgive? Who do I need to let go of resentment Towards. And so we pray for daily provision. We pray for forgiveness. But then we pray for spiritual victory. Notice it in verse 4. And forgive us our sins, we, for we forgive everyone that is indebted to us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us 
from evil. And so here uh, we see uh, that we are praying for spiritual victory. Now, now God does not tempt us. Uh, the Bible says this in James 1.13. Let no man say when he was tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither tempteth he any man. And so God does not tempt us, but sometimes because he loves us, he will allow us to go through a season of testing or a season of trial, uh, not to hurt us, but to strengthen us. And so when we pray, uh, the third thing on the list when it comes to our asking is we need to be asking God every single day, God, would you deliver me from temptation? God, would you deliver me from evil? God, would you give me spiritual victory? And this is so vitally important today because many people, many followers of Jesus are stuck and they are trapped in their sin. And they feel as though there is no way out. And man, I've been struggling with these wrong thoughts and I've been struggling with this anger and I've been struggling with this lust and I've been struggling with this uh, bitterness within. And, and we are content to live in that struggle and yet we are not praying and asking God to give us victory and to deliver us from evil. Uh, the Bible says in Romans 6 that sin shall not have dominion over you. And so maybe instead of falling back into that sin, fall back on your knees and cry out to the power of of God and ask him to deliver you from that evil on a daily basis. What are we asking God for? What should we ask God for? Well, we are asking for daily provision. God, we're saying we're, we're relying on you for all of our needs. We're asking for forgiveness and considering who can I forgive, or, uh, forgive. And then we are asking God to deliver us from evil and from this temptation. The Bible says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as common to man. Temptation is something that all of us deal with. It's common to man. It's something that all of us are going to battle. But God is faithful. God is faithful. And he will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear. And that is something that we need to be praying for on a daily basis. God, would you give me uh, the power to uh, get victory over this sin in my life? God, would you provide that way of escape so that I don't have to give in uh, to this uh, area? And so what's the right pattern for prayer? Are you with me today? Here's the right pattern. Approach, agenda, and asking. And so this week when you pray, you can have those three pillars of prayer, approach, agenda, asking, and you can fill in underneath those uh, things that you can add uh, to that. Now, this leads us to our second thought. Number two is this. When it comes to uh, the power of prayer, we have to push through with persistence. So the first thing that Jesus does is he gives a pattern. He says, okay, here's the pattern for prayer. And he gives this disciples prayer, this Lord's prayer. And so he says, here's the pattern. The next thing that he does is he gives a parable. Okay, so I want you to see the parable. I want you to see the story starting in verse number five. Notice what it says. And he said unto them, which of you shall have a friend and shall go unto him at midnight and say unto him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine in his journey is come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. And he from within shall answer and say, Trouble me not, the door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give thee. I say unto thee, though he will not rise and give him, because he is his friend, yet because of his importunity, he will rise and give him as many as he needeth. Now, Jesus tells this little story, he tells this little parable, uh, a little story with a big idea, and he's teaching about the power of persistence in prayer. And he gives this uh, story, and I think it would be helpful for us to understand this story if we kind of understood a little bit of uh, first century context. And uh, in the first century, in an ancient culture, and still really in Middle Eastern cultures, uh, hospitality is considered a responsibility. If someone shows up to your house, it's not the nice thing to do, it's the expected and kind thing to do uh, to provide for them. Many times travelers uh, in the Middle East 
police would travel, uh, they would travel at night to avoid the heat of the day. And so uh, if someone showed up to your house in the middle of the night, you were expected uh, to help them. Now, that's very different than our culture because if someone shows up my house at midnight asking for food, I'm going to call the cops on them and say, get out of here. And, uh, and there's going to be a different response there, right? And so when someone showed up, it was the ex- expectation to provide uh, some sort of food and to provide a place for them to stay. And so Jesus says, imagine the scene. Are you with me today? He says, imagine the scene. Uh, Someone shows up to your house at midnight and they say, hey, I need a place to stay and I need some food and you are embarrassed because you have nothing to provide. It was your obligation, your responsibility to help them, but you had nothing to give them. And so Jesus says, then what you would do is you would go over to your neighbor and you would say, hey, uh, you would knock on their door and you would say, hey, I'm sorry to bother you, but I really need some food. There's a traveler at midnight. He needs my hospitality. Would you please let me borrow some loaves so I can feed uh, my uh, friend that's passing through? And then that neighbor would say, hey, uh, I am already in bed with my three kids. I'm already in bed with my children. I'm, I'm already in for the night. I'm not getting out of bed. How many of you, once you are in bed, it's like, I don't care what needs to be done. I do not want to get out of bed. Sometimes Kate and I will get in bed and we forget to turn the light off. And there's like this battle between us. Like you did it last night. I'll do it. You know, it's your turn to turn the light off. And then, you know, we oh, got to get out of bed and go and turn the light off. You know, and uh, we don't want to get out of bed. Here is this man and uh, this father. And he's saying, my children are already with me in bed. I'm not going to get out. But Jesus says, eventually, if you keep on knocking, eventually, He's going to open the door, not because he's your friend, not because he likes you, because he's annoyed with you for knocking on his door and you won't stop. What does Jesus say? It's because of his importunity. Did you see that word? Importunity. What does that word mean? Here's what the word means. Importunity is defined as this, shameless persistence. Now, if you are a parent with young children or if you've ever had young children, you know exactly what the word importunity means, right? Like mom, 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 what? Hi. You know, like you know what importunity means. It's that shameless uh, persistence. Eventually, he's going to open the door because he is irritated. Now, uh, don't make uh, this mistake and think that God is like the sleeping neighbor. Because the Bible says in Isaiah that God never sleeps, he never slumbers. And so God is not irritated with us uh, when we, uh, when we uh, cry out to him in prayer and when we are persistent in prayer. But here is the point of the parable. The point of the parable is if that neighbor in his annoyance will eventually open the door and give you bread, how much more will your loving heavenly father want to open up his arms and provide for his children that are persistent in prayer? That we keep on coming to the Lord and we keep on asking God to do what only God can do with importunity, with passion, with persistent, with uh, uh, this kind of persistence. See, importunity is a nuisance to man, but it is the delight of God. He loves to hear from his children. Now, Jesus gives this parable, but then he goes on. Notice it in verse number nine. It says this, and I say unto you, ask. Everybody say ask. He says, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. He says, you've got to keep on knocking. Now, is this just some sort of blank check when it comes to prayer? That whatever we want, God promises, if we ask, we're going to get it. He's going to open the door. So it's like, you know, we treat God like a genie in the bottle. Like, can I get a hot tub? There's a hot tub. Can I get a Ferrari? There's a Ferrari. Uh, This is not what God is saying. Uh, We have to remember that he says, when we pray, we pray in accordance to his will. Thy kingdom come. God, I'm aligning my will with your will. But what he's saying is, keep on being persistent. Keep on approaching God uh, in prayer. 
This is what I believe. I believe that God wants to provide for his children. I believe that God wants to provide for our church. We have been praying for a building for our church family. We have been praying for a future home for our church family. But I believe what it's going to take is the importunity of God's people on a daily basis to say, God, would you provide for us a home? God, would you provide for us a home? God, I know I asked yesterday, but God, would you provide for us a home? Does anybody believe today that there is power in the persistence of praying and talking to Almighty God? He says, pray with that kind of persistence. By the way, in verse number nine, when he says, uh, in verse number 10, uh, when, when he says, and, and asketh, receiveth, and seeketh, findeth, and to him that knocketh, uh, the idea is that it carries on. It's continual. Many of us are accustomed to praying at midnight when there's a crisis. But do you pray in the morning when it's calm? Because the idea is not just that prayer is our, as Corey Tenboom said, prayer is not just our spare tire that, oh, something went bad and we're going to kind of pull out prayer. And then at midnight, we're banging on the door, God, I need your help now. But the idea is that we're continually, consistently praying, even when things are good, even when God is blessing, that we are having the kind of consistency in our prayers. And so we have to pray with the right pattern, but then we push through with persistence that we keep on praying. And we ought to pray today and ask God to instill within us that kind of resilience when it comes to our prayer lives, that we're going to push through with persistence. And this leads us to our third and final thought today. You have time for one more? Number three is this. We look up with expectation. Notice verse number 11. The Bible says this. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he, for a fish, give him a serpent? Or if he ask an egg, will he offer a scorpion? And so Jesus here paints kind of an absurd illustration. And he wants us to kind of capture the absurdity of the moment. Are you with me? So this is the illustration. If a son is asking for a meal, is a father going to give a scorpion? It's like if my son, Luke, my son, Luke, he loves McDonald's. And a McDonald's is like his go. He, if I were to ask him, would you rather have, Luke, do you want to have In-N-Out, Five Guys, or McDonald's? He's going to say McDonald's. Now, he's still growing in sanctification, so pray for him. But, but McDonald's is, that, that's what he wants to do. Imagine if today after church, I'm going to take Luke home with me. And imagine if he said, Dad, can we go to McDonald's? And I said, sure. And I pulled off to the side of the road and I said, Luke, you know what? I'm going to give you something better than McDonald's. And I went and grabbed a rock and I gave him a rock. I said, here you go. He would not be amused by that. He wouldn't think it's funny. He wouldn't understand. He'd be confused and it wouldn't make any sense. That would be absurd. And this is the illustration that Jesus is giving. If a child asks his father for something, we're not going to give him a scorpion. We're not going to give him a snake. We're not going to give him a rock. And then he says this. Then he brings the indictment. Notice it in verse number 13. If you then being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more? I love that phrase. And if you have a habit of underlining in your Bible, that's a great phrase to underline. How much more? Shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? He says, God is a good, loving, heavenly Father. And when we pray, we can look up with expectation, knowing that God as a good, loving, heavenly father wants to provide good gifts for his children. How many of you are a good gift giver? Only two of you. Rakia, you are a good gift giver. How many of you are not a good gift giver? Okay. How many of you are a re-gifter? How many of you have ever got a gift and you knew it was a re-gift? 
You know what I'm talking about? You're like, oh, thank you. Sometimes we can struggle to be good gift givers. Can I tell you who the best gift giver is? God the Father. If we then, being evil, know how to give good gifts, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts? How much more will the Heavenly Father, did you see it, give the Holy Spirit? Now, wait a second. That's not what I asked for. But God says that's exactly what you need. He knows how to give the best gifts. You know what the best gift is in your life? The best gift in your life, it's the Holy Spirit. He says, how much more then will God give you the Holy Spirit? If you are saved today, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, then the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. What a gift that is. What a treasure that is, that we have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The question, if you are saved today, the question is not, do I have the Holy Spirit? The question is, does the Holy Spirit have all of me? In other words, am I yielded to the Spirit? Am I surrendered to the Spirit? Because the greatest gift that we have is God. The greatest gift that we have is a relationship with Him. And we can be indwelled by the power of the Holy Spirit. We can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And the purpose of the Holy Spirit in John 16 is to guide us, to convict us, to lead us into truth. The Holy Spirit is the key to walking with Jesus. The Bible says this in John 14, verse 16. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever. Jesus here is speaking of eternal things. How many of you are interested in eternal things? He said, I'm talking about everlasting life. He's going to abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not. The Bible says that, The natural man receives not the things of God. The person that doesn't have the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, he's not going to understand the scripture. Neither knoweth he him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. The Holy Spirit is in you. Now today, if you've never accepted Jesus Christ and you don't know him as your savior, then the Holy Spirit does not dwell in you. But the Bible says that if we confess with our mouths and we believe in our heart that God hath raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. And that's the good news today. The Bible says in Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And at that moment that you pray and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit will take up residence in your life. And so today you can be filled with the Spirit. You can uh, walk in newness of life. But for those of us today that are followers of Jesus, I want to encourage you to remember these words of Jesus, that we pray with the right pattern. We've got to push through with persistence, that importunity. And then we look up with expectation, knowing that God is a good, loving, heavenly Father that wants to provide for us. Now, as we leave today, on your way out, the ushers are going to have these cards. And each week of this series, something that we're going to do is every week as you leave, we're going to give you a prayer pattern. And I want to encourage you, it's a weekly challenge for our church family to pray according to this pattern. And so as you leave today, you'll get this prayer pattern, and it says approach, agenda, asking. It has some things underneath. I would encourage you, you can write these on your own. You can journal them. You can write things underneath them to help you pray. But then when you pray, you have a template. You have a guide. And I want to encourage you to implement this week and ask God to do what only God can do And I want to challenge you to reinvigorate and to reinforce your prayer life this week by praying according to a biblical pattern. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes today.